Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today is the CEO of Revlon, Debbie Perlman. Welcome, Debbie. It's so wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Priya. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to join the podcast today. Debbie, you know, I think it must have been such an amazing but also challenging year for you. I mean, you're the CEO of this major beauty company, and it's been such a tumultuous year, but a, a year of innovation. Tell us a little bit about what it's been like for you, both personally and, and professionally. Uh, such a great question, and frankly, so pertinent to the time today. So thank you for asking that. You know, first, I, I think it's really helpful for me to take a step back and really just give some of my own background and what it means for me to be within the beauty industry, because I think a lot of people don't know that. And it's really important to me. And it really is one of my true passions. I mean, beauty and the beauty business has always been a very big part of my life. Um, Since I was a little kid, I've been always interested in beauty. I remember my first lipsticks, which happened to be Revlon Super Lustrous Lipstick, Silver City Pink and Toast of New York, for anyone who remember those shades. Those were the, the best shades on me. Uh, to pulling clips, you know, PR clips from when I was in high school. And that was really looking at, at the time, it was, you know, sitting with magazines and a pair of scissors and, you know, really looking at linking beauty and culture and celebrities and tracking the impact that beauty brands had on culture and leading into my first job outside of college, which was at Revlon, where I was able to join a rotational program with the goal of really understanding how to take a beauty product concept to market execution and ultimately success. And I was able to do that for a number of years and then came back after business school into marketing on the Alme brand as an assistant product manager, which is still holds a special place for me, that Alme brand, which led me into a career of marketing and ultimately to returning to the company in 2007 to lead a digital transformation and moving into the CEO role in 2018. And not only is the beauty business and Revlon so important to me, but the emotional connection that beauty has with me, with probably you, with each and every consumer. And I spoke about the lipsticks. I remember their names. There, there's certainly so many more that I could highlight. I mean, I remember the fragrance that my grandmother wore. Very specifically, she wore Norel, and it was in this beautiful gold container. It was actually a, a, hard, a hard oil fragrance. Um, as well as I remember, you know, even, you know, my team members have talked to me about stories and the products that they have used in their past from their dance competitions when they were kids to skincare routines that they've been passed down from generation to generation. And a big focus of mine has always been how do you utilize these iconic brands and products bring to market in order to really leverage this emotional connection that we can have with the consumer. Because ultimately what we do at Revlon is we're able to create beauty innovations to really inspire confidence and ignite joy in the consumer. And that really can't be lost. And Priya, I'm sure you have many stories of your own 
with products that have impacted your life, either personally or or with family members. And it really is something in beauty that is hard to, to replicate in other categories as well. But I, I'll get back to your question um, with regards to, you know, what was that past year like? Um, and what impact did it have on me and on the company? And, you know, first and foremost, I was very focused on, as was the leadership team, on the health and safety of of our employees. And, you know, for me, it really is was about how to make sure that people were staying safe, um, as well as how, do, how were we able to give back to the communities around us. And we were able to do that through transforming some of our lines to make hand sanitizers and donating that to the communities that we serve, as well as, you know, donating products beyond hand sanitizer to the essential healthcare workers. Uh, so we were very able, uh, very lucky to be able to, to do that. When I look at some of the, the learnings that we had over the past year, I was very focused on uh, leadership learnings and, you know, what it meant for me in this position to be going through such a tumultuous time, uh, not only in business, but also in managing uh, employees who had difficult times in their own personal lives. And I, and I really leaned into leadership philosophies that I've learned throughout my career. And, you know, one of them really being from my grandfather. My grandfather had, you know, built and owned many different businesses. And he would always say to me, make the decision. At the end of the day, if you don't make the decision, then somebody else or something else is going to make that for you. And you may be in a worse position. And I always think about that, you know, when I'm going through difficult and challenging situations, as well as when we're looking at weighing different opportunities. And throughout the year was, was no different in terms of leaning into what that philosophy really meant. And I, I do go back, I was a history major in college, so I, you know, I can't help but really talk about that as well as I, I always look to the past, right, as where we can drive for inspiration. And there was a, definitely a quote that came top of mind during the past year, which was by a former president. I'm not going to give the exact quote, but I'll give you the essence of it, right, by Theodore Roosevelt, who said, in a time of crisis, the best thing you can do is do the right thing. The next best thing you can do is do the wrong thing. And the worst thing that you can do is do nothing. And, you know, really focused on making sure that it was leading by decision and leading with integrity, with truth and transparency throughout the organization. And when it comes to, you know, business and the business learnings that we had and where we are focused, we were already on a path for digital transformation, but as everybody knows, that was accelerated in the past year. And we were very focused. I was very focused on making quick decisions in terms of even further accelerating our digital transformation. And we really did this by changing not only how we're going to market, but also how we work together. And we really focused on moving from a siloed organization to a much more collaborative organization. And a proof of concept that we established was working in small pods that were dedicated to one mission and delivering on that mission, meaning that that small team was empowered to drive that mission forward with the tactics that they thought were appropriate. And now that pod concept has expanded throughout our organization which is showcasing our culture of agility and empowerment. 
Debbie, so tell us a little bit about these pods. Was it by brand? Was it by function? Would love to hear a little bit more because it does sound like you've really scaled that up more recently. So we did scale it up. What we did was we focused first on e-commerce. So we focused first on how do we service that channel, whether it be our owned our owned e-commerce brands like elizabetharden.com or whether it was through third-party retailers is dedicating those pods first to e-commerce. And now what we've been able to do is now dedicate pods to our product development with specific uh, hubs with skincare and color cosmetics and others, as well as in terms of marketing and global marketing and really leveraging the cross-functional capabilities to drive the change in the organization as well as how we go to market. A second ago, you mentioned how you kind of came back to the company, I believe you said it was 2010, to lead the digital transformation back then. I'm wondering what kind of lessons you may have learned back then or what's parallel to that situation? Because, you know, I think this past year must have been so much more of a quicker kind of turnaround and kind of um, a little bit more, you probably leaned on those lessons, but probably had so many more to learn. Definitely more to learn. So I did come back in 2017. And even then, from then until now, there has been so much more to learn because there are new platforms that have come up. But what I would say is really a, a, a change that myself and the leadership team have been driving towards is having the company support the change and the acceleration. So instead of it always being top-down, really having a bottoms-up approach in terms of upskilling our employees for digital training, as well as it having be top of mind in terms of business and business tracking, as well as ensuring that this channel is where we are getting to know the consumer better. So this channel enables us to have a two-way discussion with the consumer that we're not able to have in other channels. So all of that combined in terms of learning, the learnings internally, as well as being able to bring the external learnings to us has really been a shift with how we've worked even in the last three years since I've been there. Something that seems to be like a very much of a through line is this theme of empowerment and really allowing the employees to own what they own. And Debbie, I mean, I think I would be remiss not to bring this up, but you are one of the very few CEOs who is female at a major beauty company. And I mean, there are much smaller companies that have female CEOs, but I'm wondering like, what's that been like, you know, this last three years and what's that been like this last year? Because I imagine the pressure on you must have been much more than some of your, you know, counterparts. So what I will say is that it absolutely has been very humbling, extremely humbling to be the first female CEO of Revlon and to be one of the few CEOs of large beauty companies today, as well as what I don't take very, what I take not lightly is being a part of now the legacy of such an iconic company with iconic and powerful brands and forever being tied to that. And that is something that, you know, I, 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 always want to remember as I'm leading this company, because I really do stand on the shoulders of so many who've come before me. And I know people and women say this a lot, and each and every one of us truly mean it, including me, 
is that the path is forged by those who come before us. And there were many within Revlon who helped forge that path, including Kathy Dwyer within Revlon, who launched Colorstay Technology, as well as my first boss under Alme, Vanessa Solomon, you know, to other companies who have had these incredible CEOs. And I would really be remiss if I did not mention all of the indie brand entrepreneurs who are majority female who have launched these incredible brands, you know, either as standalone or those who get acquired that have also forged this path. So I stand on everybody's shoulders today. And it's really a true honor to be in this company and be driving it forward and be the steward of these brands, which is really, you know, what drives the company is the brands and it's our employees and the people. And I really hope that I continue to be able to pave the path for future leaders. I mean, today, my leadership team is over 50% female. We are very focused on employee development and being able to support those who are coming behind us and making sure that they have the opportunities that we had and use it as a showcase, right, in terms of highlighting the ability that, you know, women and diversity can have within a company. Will you elaborate a little bit on that, Debbie? Just because, I mean, you know, people say this all the time, you know, we are the consumers, you know, women are the consumers. We know what the touch and feel of a product should feel like. And we have that emotional connection. Does it surprise you that, you know, there aren't more leaders like you in organizations or that there aren't more teams that are diverse like yours? Because, you know, we are we are the customer. Well, I'm certainly a customer. I'm certainly a consumer. I am a complete product junkie, probably much to the dismay of my team as I'm always sending them product ideas or you know, sending them articles of new ingredients that are hitting the market. And, you know, I know I'm not alone. I know that, you know, you and others and women and men out there really enjoy and get a lot of joy out of beauty and personal care. Does it surprise me? It it still surprises me because I still would like to get to a point where gender doesn't matter, where it's about the capability and capacity of the leader and less about the gender of the leader. But we're not there yet. And what I can do and what other leaders can do inside and outside of Revlon is continue to support those leaders who are coming after us, as well as support the leaders who are in the market today to to truly be a team, a team within the industry, um, and and be supportive of you know the mission that we're all after, which is you know gender equality, and I think a big piece of this also is being able to use platforms like the companies that we you know sit at the helm at, in order to keep talking about where we want to go and how we're going to get there. Great transition, Debbie. You know, talk to me a little bit about Revlon and Elizabeth Arden specifically, because, you know, these are probably, of all of your brands, I mean, I'll put all May up there too, but, you know, these are iconic brands. And I know that you're in the midst of this, you know, iconic brand transformation to bring these brands, you know, back to their heyday in a way. So tell me a little bit about what that looks like, because it does seem like, you know, something we heard throughout the pandemic is that hero products, hero brands were the ones resonating. People wanted that comfort. So what does that look like for you? So thank you for the question. Revlon and Arden, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, are two iconic brands. They've been in the market for over 85 years. 
You know, they have longevity, they have timelessness. And that's what we we talk about internally, the timelessness of our brands. And when we look at, at the company is the challenge as well as the opportunity to lead into the timeliness of brands and really being connected to the consumer, connected to today's culture and the world around this. And, and how to do that, right? That's always everybody's question, how to do that. I'm going to hit on a couple of examples uh, within our company that have been of, of focus to me and the leadership team in terms of part of the transformation. And one of them is, you know, with regards to Revlon, is on sustainability. I think that, you know, Revlon, since I've been at the company, sustainability is a passion of mine. It's a passion of the team. And we've been very focused on since I've been at the company, every new product that we put into market has a sustainable element to it. And when you look at Revlon today, not only Revlon, but the other brands, we have been able to over-deliver on our goals of sustainability, including where we're focused on formulas, using environmentally friendly materials, such as PCR resins, as well as lightweight plastics in our, in our packaging, and when you look at the product portfolio, you can see this coming through. So what's very exciting is we were the first to come to mass with a, a certified seal from the Environmental Working Group on our Revlon primers, as well as most recently on our Alme eyeliner, right? I mean, this was the first to mass who's done this. So we were really paving the way in terms of how far can you go in color cosmetics in terms of sustainability. You know, we carry this on in our Revlon professional products where our hair color is organic vegan and the packaging uses 60% less plastic as well as 25% less paper. I can continue on with American Crew where we have 100% PCR PET plastics. And we've made a commitment in the mass market where we have displays that all our displays will be recyclable with at least 30% recycled, recycled content by 2023. So we continue on this path of sustainability on Revlon and across all of our brands, which I believe really resonates with the consumer today. You know, he or she is looking for that, is looking for that as part of the purpose of brands. When I turn to Elizabeth Arden, you know, another great example of an iconic brand, right? And what we've been focused on with Arden uh, is China and uh, a, a very important growth market and of strategic importance to us, which we've spoken about as a pillar within our strategy and how to meet the needs of this consumer in a market where we're predominantly um, e-commerce driven. And many people don't know this, but Elizabeth Arden was really one of the very early luxury skincare brands that was sold on Tmall. And we've remained a top ranked skincare brand. In 2020, we were ranked number nine in skincare, and we were ranked number four in fragrances. These are based on the 2020 e-commerce stats that we get, but extremely exciting for the brand. And for us, it really has become about how do we maintain that growth? How do we continue to meet the needs of that consumer in that market? And ensuring that we have the right products right at the right time and are, are really going after the right execution, which is very different than it is here. We're focused on executing the brand with super KOLs, with live streaming, ensuring that we remain competitive in the serum category where we've always been, you know, very, very competitive as well as a leader. 
and, you know, recruiting new consumers to that brand, which is very important to us. Tell me a little bit about, you know, that that last piece, you know, recruiting new consumers, because I think when you talk about sustainability with Revlon and when you're talking about skincare and China with Arden, there is some like overlap there. There is a little bit of like, you know, reaching out to this consumer who may be younger, who may have conscious consumerism, you know, on their mind. You know, is that what it's about is bringing, you know, Revlon and Elizabeth Arden, these heritage, timeless brands to maybe a newer audience? I absolutely, I think it's to bring these brands to a newer audience. But I also think what's really important with both these brands and, and all of our brands within Revlon is we've really made a significant effort and significant strides in bringing the consumer into the conversation as we are developing products and product innovation. So we've been in a position where since, since I've taken the helm at the company, where we have gotten closer to the consumer to have their feedback in our development process. So it's not only in terms of how we're going to market, but if you back up about five or six steps, it's even starting at the concept and formula development where we're bringing them in and getting feedback. And most recently we did this with the foundation launch where we really wanted to make sure that we had the right shade range for the consumer. And through the testing and feedback, we realized that we needed to do a better job in terms of getting the right tone to the range for, for, for skin needs. And that's really important for us to continue to make sure that if we truly want to hit the needs of the consumer, we need to understand where the consumer is today and where the gaps are and ensuring that we can match those gaps with our capabilities, as well as our brands to better service the need. Tell me a little bit about e-commerce, because I know that that has been, you know, a big driver for all of your brands and for the company. And it seems like, obviously, this feedback is very much layered within that. You know, this is where you're getting information about the customer, where you're talking to them, whether on social platforms that then lead to your site. Like, what is your perspective of e-commerce versus stores and how that's kind of transformed over the last year? Was definitely transformed <laughs> over the last year where, you know, e-commerce accelerated during the pandemic. But as we started to see markets open up and we're not through the COVID not all markets are fully open, but as we started to see the markets open up, we started to see that consumers wanted a retail experience. So today, it really is about an omni-channel experience. I mean, retail is coming back. Retail is not dead, as so many had said during 2020, it, but far from it. Uh, we are actually really excited to see the consumer going back into store and driving us to re rethink the consumer experience in store and online. And as I said, it really means a true Omni experience. So Omni Channel was talked about a couple of years ago. Things were not where they are today. Today is really where you're connecting the consumer and having different experiences where she can interact digitally at the counter. And we're doing that Elizabeth Arden. So you have digital shade finders, digital fragrance finders. And then when they go online, to elizabetharden.com, they'll see that they can have one-on-one -on -one consults, virtual consults, in order to do the same thing. And for us, that's really important to continue to think of 
the channels holistically, right, as we approach the consumer. What's also interesting, right, and when you look at the bricks and mortar channel is how much of these channels have really started to blur. So the lines between prestige and mastige and the lines between mastige and mass um, have have really started to blur. And, and from my standpoint, I think about time because I, I keep on going back to I'm a consumer, you're a consumer. And as a consumer, I don't think I'm going to shop in mastige today and I'm going to shop in department store tomorrow. I think about where do I want to have an experience and buy my products? And now we're able, through some of this blurring in the beauty industry, to really address that for the consumer. I think it's a really exciting time to see that happen. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, with, you know, Ulta going into Target and, you know, Sephora going to Kohl's and just even what, you know, everybody buying on Amazon, you know, this last year and wanting it in a second at their home, you know, I think that um, preciousness almost has been eliminated. I'm wondering, you know, like in in a way, like it almost seems like, especially for mass, this has really benefited, you know, mass because there is that digital component and there is that, you know, it's almost like it's just as good. We're reminding customers it's just as good. Do you think that that's definitely the case for some of your brands like, like a Revlon, which is found in, you know, in an Ulta or in a Target? I, look, I think the mass channel is very important to the consumer. When you look at the size and scale of mass retailers in the U.S. as well as, you know, around the world, it has a real impact on the consumer, both in-store as well as digitally. And retailers, you know, in the mass channel, whether Pure Plays or uh, Pure Plays from an e-commerce standpoint, as well as those who have an omni-channel experience, are really able to move the needle when it comes to an industry and certainly when it comes to beauty. And the consumer enjoys shopping there. I mean, they enjoy going through the aisles at um, any of the mass retailers, well, it's, whether it's Walmart or Target, they enjoy going and having that experience. And I don't think that's going to go away. I, I really believe that it's up to companies like Revlon to continue to be a good partner to retailers in order to deliver for that consumer because she is looking for beauty in those aisles. What would you say about the luxury piece of it with, you know, something like Elizabeth Arden, you know, do you ever imagine in a world where it could also be in a mass store or do you prefer where it is kind of being sold now? We are always looking at opportunities for our brands. And we're always looking at exactly what we've been speaking about is what are the changing needs of the consumer and how does that impact where and how we sell? So when it comes to Elizabeth Arden, I think we have incredible channel partners. We have very strong direct-to-consumer, but we're always going to be looking and challenging ourselves to say, is that enough? Is that enough? And are we doing enough in terms of brand equity building? And are we doing enough to meet the needs of the consumer of where and how she is shopping today. So what I will tell you is I never say never. I never say never. <laughs> Would you say that, you know, this idea of, you know, feedback, going back to what you said a second ago about feedback, you know, where customers are almost telling brands what they want has become maybe more important than brands dictating to customers? Because I think, you know, 
when I was a teenager and when I think about looking at the magazines and all of that, you know, it was very much like, this is an aspiration. This is an inspiration. I want to be part of this brand's world where it seems like brands, you know, especially iconic brands like your own have really incorporated this idea of, you know, they want to be where the customer wants them to be. How has that been like for you? Because you do have this heritage, right? And, but you want to be timely, like you said. So how are you kind of measuring and melding those two ideas together? It's a great question. It's really a great question, especially when you have brands that were not created as digital first brands. So you're in a position where you're looking to shift as well as amplify uh, brand positioning, both from a traditional standpoint, but as well as educating the consumer that we actually can have uh, a two-way conversation with her. And it's been, it's, it's been uh, an opportunity and a challenge for us to be able to do that. Because I think today, it's all about the consumer. It is all about you know, ensuring that the brand message and the innovation and the products that we bring to market are connecting to and understanding her needs. And when you take a brand like Elizabeth Arden, where it was started, it was started in, surprisingly, you know, it was started by Miss Elizabeth Arden in a spa-like setting where she was educating women about their skin and how to use skincare products, right? So it was very much started as a two-way conversation, Right. And over time, that has changed as the channels of selling have changed. And now, in a lot of ways, it's full circle because we really value that consumer feedback and we value understanding the consumer experience with our product. And we value understanding the, do our concepts resonate with her in order enough to buy the product. And the closer today for any brand, but we're talking about Elizabeth Arden, but for any brand, the closer you can get to the consumer today, I believe the more the brand resonates. It sounds like in a a lot of ways, it is really going back to basics, right? You know, like the counter conversation, the spa-like conversation, and really just reminding people that you were really doing this first. You You weren't doing it in 2020 just because everybody else is doing it. Would you say that's part of it? Absolutely part of it. It's part of our heritage. It's part of the heritage of the Elizabeth Arden brand. It's part of the heritage on so many of the other brands that we have. I mean, if we look at a brand like C&D Creative Nail Design, which is in the market is very much known for shellac. We are a leading player within gel nail. That was started by Jan, Jan Arnold, understanding the needs of the professional nail, nail professional in the market. And that's how that product was developed. And that's how that product continues to get developed today is really staying very close to that, to that user who is the nail professional. But you can take that line through so many of our brands today where getting to that consumer or customer is so critical in terms of the path forward for the brand development. Would you say, Debbie, just, you know, as a big company, that might be a little bit harder than, say, you know, a D2C company that's doing this for the very first time, just because you are one of the biggest beauty companies in the world. But 
you have this heritage that just people need to be reminded about. I don't know if it's more difficult to be reminding people about something or doing it for the first time, right? I think it's all work. It is all work and it's all an incredible opportunity. And whether you're starting out as a new brand or whether you're in a position where I am, where I have these incredible iconic brands and and modernizing them, right? And I go back to the the timeliness of the brands. I think it really comes down to being driven by, you know, the people who are stewarding uh, the brands and the companies and the passion that they have for the industry and making the change they want to see happen. Um, But at the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing in terms of bringing products to market that can really inspire the consumer, that that have that connection. A lot of the other conglomerates right now have been spending a lot of time, you know, maybe acquiring or incubating or divesting versus just, you know, focusing on their core. What's Revlon's perspective on that? Because that is something that we haven't heard a lot about, you know, in in the press, you know, or from you all. I'm just wondering, is it really just about the core right now? Or are you also looking at um, some of those other opportunities? So we are always looking at, you know, acquisitions or divestitures or incubating brands. What I want to highlight today, though, is what I'm really excited about is what we just announced in the market with our first quarter, which is our Revlon Global Growth Accelerator. And that really is about two main two main parts. The first one is driving long-term, profitable, sustainable growth with a focus on our core iconic brands of Revlon and Elizabeth Arden as well as brands that have unique positioning and powerful positioning in the market, such as American Crew or C&D with, with Shellac, right? And that's really such a foundation of our strategy going forward. The other piece that we're focused on within RGGA is around strengthening the culture at Revlon. And this means driving a culture to one that is more agile and power, empowered, which we had spoken about and which we're, we're really executing on. And, and one that really represents the values of the company, which is around collaboration, it's around inclusion, accountability, and innovation. And this is so important because today our employee, the, the culture of the company right, is really reflected in terms of how our employees see the company and what they believe in, in terms of the purpose of the company and the motivation for doing their work day to day. And for me personally, the employee's physical health is very important, as we spoke about, but also the employee's mental health is very important. And that's what we're trying to build in our culture is a real knowledge of that. And it's incredibly important to me professionally, but also personally, it's very important to me. It's one of my passions outside of work. I did start about, uh, now I can't believe it, 10 years ago, an institute in Manhattan that's dedicated to child mental health. It's called the Child Mind Institute, and it's focused on diagnosing, treating uh, child mental health issues, as well as uh, research and any way that I can begin to merge these passions from my professional life and my personal life to go beyond kids and really into the workplace is something that I'm really looking to achieve. That's definitely something that we're all talking about. And especially amongst women and the support that you're 
that you were kind of trying to achieve at your company and throughout beauty. You know, it's definitely something that people really want the lid to be blown off. So that's amazing. Um, Debbie, last question for you. You know, we've talked about so much, you know, the brand specifically and obviously the overall growth acceleration plan and culture. But what are you kind of most looking forward to as like, you know, we're finally in this place of like kind of normalcy in the U.S. People are going back to stores. People are excited about wearing makeup. Um, what do you think your, you know, your joy and your your drive is at right now, where you think it is? For me, I'm focused on the fact that for Revlon, the future is just so bright. I am looking forward to, from a business perspective, unlocking the potential that we have in our incredible brands, as well as driving the culture at Revlon. And from a more macro perspective, I'm really looking to leverage the platform that we have at the company with all these incredible brands to make a positive impact on the world around us. I mean, you know, selfishly, I have four kids, right? So I look at this position to be able to have a, be able to be on this journey, right? And leave it in a way that's a bit more positive than when I started is really a goal for me, for not only me, for my employees, but also for them. So I look forward to that. Thank you so much, Debbie. It was so wonderful having you. I'm, I'm so excited you're here. Oh, thank you so much, Priya. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. <laughs>